Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Our last episode of April lands exactly on Easter Sunday. And so, Easter chick Graham McMillan and myself continue to gab about recent Marvel movies and even more recent DC rumors, as well as the comics Telepaths by J. Michael Straczynski and Steve Epstein, Goodbye Eri by Tatsuki Fujimoto, Embarrassing Manga, The Atypical Career of John Smith, and much, much more in this two-hour episode. We welcome your comments at waitwhatpodcast.com, your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan, hello! Was what I almost tried to say the first time around. God damn how are but, you, sir? But it, 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 look, we're talking now. It worked. No. Hi, Whatnots. Uh, no. What you missed is, like, we tried to do this before, and for some reason, Jeff was muted, and it it led to uh, confusion on the end of one of the people in this call, and just sheer, like, I could hear the, the blood boiling. <laughs> could you hear that over the muted part? Could you just sort of hear a low bubbling oh, no, noise when, when you when you reappeared <sighs> it was uh it was quite a thing jeff let me tell you yeah i bet i bet i graham i graham i apologize because i have to say i would i would say that you you're not the sort of person for whom uh anchor is fun you're not like oh yeah that's i enjoy that i enjoy listening to that you know. I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that I'm I'm uh, anger. I was going to say anger adjacent, and that's the very opposite of what I mean. <laughs> uh, anger. What's the word I'm looking averse, for? Yeah. Adverse. Adverse. Adverse yeah. is exactly the word I'm looking exactly. for. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's me. Yep. I'm yeah. Adverse. Right. So when I do that, you're you're like, I'm like, I'm not mad at you. I'm like, you're like, why don't we just hang up and try again? <laughs> By the way, if hey. I don't answer, <laughs> to be fair. I was one thing. Let's continue with this call, and you're like, "No, I'm going to hang up, and we'll do it again." Yes, no, so, it's true. It's true. It's totally true. I'm Graham, just, you're great. Hey. Skype for whatever reason, it's <laughs> bullshit. Why would it start the program with my microphone muted? I'm going to have to look at this because there's there's literally no reason for it. No. Oh no, it it makes no sense. What's funny is there was a point somewhere in the like two minutes where where I felt like I was stuck into the void, where I was like. I wonder if it's Skype, and then thought to myself, it can't be Skype. Skype <laughs> doesn't start a call with with that with muting someone as a basic. Yeah, but apparently, but apparently it does. Because yeah, so and the thing that's crazy is you're always Mister Chat Window, and so I was sending you little things like I can't. I'm oh, muted let, for some let reason. Let me tell you. Let me tell you <laughs> that um, it comes up like it, the way Skype is now. It comes up in the middle of the actual call window now. Oh, really? Yeah, which was amazing, because I think the first thing you sent me was just ARG. That was the second thing! Uh, That was the first thing I saw, and all of a sudden, your face just got replaced (laughs) with the big letters ARG. Oh, well, there you go. At least it's accurate. I like the idea. Which really was, was, was quite amazing. It was quite a thing, let me tell you. Well, you know, the thing that's funny is I have to say I was a little worried about how we were going to start this podcast off. I was a little worried about this episode overall. Oh, why? I don't know. I don't know. You know, like, I wish I could say, I feel like, I feel like 
first episode of the month is after we've usually had a break of a week, maybe two weeks, and then we come back and we're like, woo, Vim and Vigor, yee! And then second uh, week is Drock, and Drock, if nothing else, focused. It's 300 pages of Judge Dredd, so, you know, we know what we're here to talk about, and we're going to talk about it. And then third podcast is usually the point where I am at the apex of my comics reading. I either have something that I... If I'm lucky, I want to talk about, or there's a melange of things to the point where I'm sort of semi-overwhelmed, and then if we throw in any kind of just general malaise or exhaustion or depression or whatever with me, I feel incredibly rudderless, you know, and so... And so sometimes I I find myself being like, okay, I gotta I gotta have a good strong hitting point here, and you know, some place where we can really punch it and take it to the next level, you know. Because if if not, you know, sometimes we have these wonderfully digressive and illuminating discussions, and sometimes you're like, Jeff, let me tell you what I learned about Superman for the Quest for Peace, and I'm like, no, Graham, and then it's too late, you know, you're just. <laughs> Just I'm just about talking it. about Superman 4 Quest for Peace. Uh, nuclear Man, of course. Yeah. But isn't there like a fake Nuclear Man before, or am I imagining that? There definitely wasn't a comic. I want to say there wasn't in the finished film. Uh, it was one of the first times I remember the comic adaptation and the film were significantly different. Oh, interesting. I'm just being utterly confused about that. Right, right. Right, well, that makes sense, because you were, you, were, you were youngin'. You were a I mean, at that Superman point. Superman 4 came out, like... When I was like fourteen or something, right? I, I mean, I don't think so. I yeah, think it, it was eighty-seven, so I would have been twelve. Okay, so twelve. See, twelve is when you can still be befuddled. Fourteen, you're kind of like. Mm, That's what I'm saying. Know. Like, I, I think <laughs> we both just made the arbitrary decision that at fourteen you can't be befuddled anymore. Well, I, I, is thirty? Is a teenager like when you hit a teenager, you're just you, you're not befuddled? No, it's not so much that you're not befuddled. I think part of the reason why a teenager be sort of part of what we think of as a teenager is the teenager is aware that the world is not what it was presented as for the first 10 to 12 years of your life. And in some ways, the reason why you do that is enough incidents pile up where you're like, that doesn't make any sense. Why is it like this? But what about the, you know what I mean? So like at 12, you're confused. At 13 or 14, you start wondering if everyone lied to you about everything. <laughs> and that's when you become the surly teenagers kind of keeping your own counsel. You know what I mean? Like you're just, you're busy concentrating on trying to figure out why won't you fit into things? Maybe if you change this about yourself, but even though you're trying to change so hard, it seems like nobody can see you change. Meanwhile, your body's changing in ways that you seem to have no control over. And on top of all of that, there's just this weird level of like fuckery. So the super cynical teenager, I think, is that stage where, you know, there's sort of that kind of semi-loss of innocence that is itself a form of innocence because, you know, eventually, hopefully you get to the point past it where you're like, Oh, some things do work or like people are good, but the systems with people are bad. Like, why is that? You know, or however, whatever process you go down the path of, 
Um, you know, so that's my thing. Is it 14? You'd be like, well, of course. But at 12, you're like, what's up with this? You know, like at 14, if I had been 14 and I read that, I was like, God, I bet Denny O'Neill drinks, you know, or whoever it was who did the, was it Carrie Bates? <laughs> who knows? Carrie Bates probably did the thing of Superman for. I'm oh, sure. God, see, now I'm going to have to look it up. <laughs> this... This is a nightmare. This is literally a nightmare. I cannot okay, believe it, this. It's Bob Rosakis. Oh. Do you want oh, to know the art the team answer, for it? man. Yeah. Kurt Swan, Don Heck, and John Beatty with Dick Giordano. Ooh. That's, wow. I mean, that's a team. Yeah, that, that, that is a team. That's like a bell curve of, we care about this project. We don't care about this project. No, 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 no. We're going we're gonna to bring someone in at the end to make it seem like we still care about this project. Uh, Not unlike uh, Superman Jerry, Quest for Peace itself. Jerry Ordway did the cover, which I think, I remember very clearly feeling cheated about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I get it. I I would have I would have sworn that it was Ordway who had done it. And of course, Ordway did such exemplary work with uh, with with Batman. the Batman one a couple yeah. of years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Superman for the quest for peace. I, you know, I, I, uh, like I said, when I started hollering, this was a nightmare. I'm like, this is literally what I was worried. Like between us being muted and the fact, like at least we can still land this in under the ten minute mark. But um, yeah, Superman for the quest for peace. It's it's a classic. It's uh, easily the I was going to say best as a joke, but I can't. Yeah. Because it is that bad a film. Yeah. Uh, it is easily the worst of the Superman films, and I say that in a world where Superman three exists. Yeah, you know, Superman three is a real <laughs> mixed bag. Like it's it's Superman three was enough that I left and went. Okay, I'm not coming back for Superman four. I mean, I consciously say that, but like when Superman four came out, I'm like, I can pass. They had Superman 3. <laughs> I can pretty much leave that alone. But I have some weird... I mean, if, if nothing else, there were bits like e the evil Superman part of Superman and the Superman versus Clark Kent slug out was great. Yeah, no, yeah, are both, are both great. Yeah. But otherwise, oh boy. Oh, so bad. So, oh, oh boy. So bad. I'm well, so that's it. It's weird. I wish, you know, I take it back. I wish Superman 5 had been on the planet of the apes, now that I think about it. You know what I mean? Cause, <laughs> because the planet of the apes and Superman are kind of the same thing. You know what I mean? Like, the planet of the apes movies did well in certain markets but you know kind of they were like eh but we're not making enough money back to put more money into it but maybe if we put less money into it we'll get enough money to keep making them that, that is genuinely how it worked yeah this these aren't working out mm -hmm. but instead of stopping what if we just make them cheaper yeah exactly exactly it's honestly kind of genius in a weird way right right you know, I mean, it sort of makes sense. I mean, and that is the thing. Uh, you know, oh, I've got my segue. My goodness. As someone who just, uh, over the last few nights, watched the first two episodes of Loki, I do find myself kind of thinking, like, yeah, like, there, if nothing else, there's such a weird dichotomy between <laughs> how superhero movies are treated now, more often than not, and mm -hmm. particularly, particularly Marvel um, compared to how superhero movies used to be treated, which really were along the variant of that first Superman movie is like, we're going to put a lot of care and craft and take this character kind of seriously. And any of the sort of 
you know, if there's ironic winking, it's going to be in a very, very, it's, we're not looking at Adam West here. This is genuinely inspiring stuff. And it makes a ton of money. And then they're like, okay, and here's Superman 2 that's even bigger and badder. And they're like, oh, whoops, okay, let's bring in the camp. You know, we'll bring in the yeah. camp and the boobs. Although, to be fair, Superman and Superman 2 have more than their fair share of camp in there. Oh. Oh, definitely. No, 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 no. For sure. For sure. But how do I put it? It is. Uh, it's it's still different enough from the Adam West Batman camp. You know, not they can't separate it. And in fact, that is I don't know. That's that seems to be some sort of weird problem. What What's kind of great about you saying that is uh, for work. I rewatched the last episode of Loki the other day. Oh, right. Um, and I watched the new Spider-Man this morning. Ooh, I'm looking forward to because that's finally available to rent. I'm sort of yes, looking which forward is, to watching which is, that. Yeah. Which is why I watched it. Uh huh. Um, and so I have been. I too have been thinking about Marvel stuff. Mm. And of course, I'm keeping up with Moon Knight, even though it's stuff that I saw when I watched the preview episodes. Um, but yeah, I I too have been thinking about Marvel Studios and and the way they approach the stuff in large part because I watched Spider Man No Way Home this morning. Like right. I started what, ten o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And you finished long. at 5 p.m. <laughs> no, no, but it's two and a half hours long, so I finished it by lunch, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I not only have literally zero desire to see that film again, right. uh, I feel like I've forgotten a fair chunk of that film, <laughs> and I like the film. Right, right. Like, when I was watching it, I was chuckling along, and I mm-hmm. was like, yeah, you know, that's, that's a, a funny joke, or that's a cute moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I will admit that I got choked up at the big death. I, I genuinely did. Which I don't know anything about, so should that's, why I'm, that's why I'm not spoiling. Thank you. Um, but, like, you know, it did everything you expect it to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, uh, Tom Holland is, is very charming. And mm-hmm. honestly, I think it was Benedict Cumberbatch's best Doctor Strange, which is a fairly low bar, but still. No, true. In both um, senses, yeah. But... But still, like I when when the movie was playing, mm-hmm. I was like, "This is an enjoyable, if overlong, piece of superhero entertainment." Right, right. Mm-hmm. Like I said, no, I I definitely don't remember two and a half hours worth of that movie. Mm-hmm. And even the bits that I liked, like I said, I have literally zero desire to watch it again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the flip side that is when I watched rewatched the end of Loki, uh, I enjoyed it much more than the first time I watched it. Oh, that's good. That's good. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of hoping I can get to the end of it because Monday is when we are. And by oh, we, when, I mean, when, yeah, is, when you're saying good, goodbye to Disney yeah, it's, it's getting yanked. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the Loki thing is really is pretty. You know, the thing that was interesting to me about Loki, and well, there's the fanboy thing that I think I'm interested in Loki that is. I sort of want to ask about, but just so steers into the realm of either spoilers or fucking things up or just having you laugh and point at me. And then there's also the stuff that is just kind of the Superman for Quest for Peace kind of thing in it. Because as, as you know, um, uh, Owen Wilson is in Loki. And I, I don't, I it had been a long time since I had seen Owen Wilson in anything, and some of that is due to Owen Wilson, and some of that is, I think, very largely due to Owen Wilson's agents, 
where they're like, you know, Owen Wilson needs to make movies with like Jennifer Aniston and Labrador Retrievers, <laughs> and maybe Jennifer Jennifer Aniston as a Labrador Retriever. Whereas I'm also like, wait, so that means you didn't watch the French Dispatch? No, no, I haven't watched it yet. I I will soon, but that's his. Isn't that his first Wes Anderson movie in like a while? I honestly couldn't tell you. I, I mean, oh, I could I, be I, wrong. I, but... I know he's in it. That's all I can say. Okay, well, fair enough. But so, so, so right. So like I said, first time seeing Owen Wilson in a while. And one of the things... And he's in Mark Grunewald cosplay. Yes, which is wonderful. Which is wonderful. Like, it's so hard not trying to, like, stop the show and explain that but i was like god he really the the idea to have him to dress him up like mark Grunwald is really really wonderful so and owen wilson is speaking and one of the things that i thought was really interesting at least on the first two episodes of loki and it could change and could go elsewhere is there were points and and i should qual well i will qualify it after saying it which is a first for me <laughs> owen wilson is so much better than that material. Like, there are times when he is saying <laughs> stuff, and I'm like, holy shit, that line is stupid. Like, and there's okay, a lot but, of stuff... But with yeah, the best mm-hmm. will in the world, Loki is full of people who are better than that material. Well, and and so I think this is this is, this is is kind of my point, in a way, is I also feel like Christopher Reeve may well be the poster child for better than the material that he was in or maybe not but you know what i mean like he really he really sold superman in a way that if you didn't sell it the whole and everyone still looks to it and points to it is kind of a really tough um act to top in that regard right but you know and and they kind of they had him out of come out of essentially nowhere you know it was uh, blind addition process casting call whatever you know real star maker type stuff in part because there were so many people who were like i'm not i'm not i'm not gonna play this like people are like throw money at like al pacino al pacino could play superman and al pacino's like i'm not playing superman um oh my god i know was, the return. that was amazing that <laughs> I didn't see it coming. I should have. And I'm so glad it happened anyway. <laughs> and, uh, but, but, uh, but yeah, like you just, you just look at these movies. Like part of why I'm watching Loki is I'm so looking forward to Jonathan Majors, who is, I loved him in the last black man in San Francisco. That movie is such a, like, he is such a, um, like just like you know one of those things where you watch a movie and you're like yeah the movie's good but this person is going to be a huge star and yeah, so but this guy this guy's amazing yeah. yeah so the idea of seeing him in a marvel movie where it's like yeah what's going to happen there might really be some serious alchemy here is like kind of exciting so i'm like i want to watch honestly, Loki. one of the things i love so much about the last episode is his performance is great then that's what i hear that is also what i heard is everyone's like holy crap like you know so anyway so owen wilson and there's times where like and that's the thing like i'm kind of like you know Owen, I like Owen Wilson. This is the qualifier afterwards. I don't think that he's, you know, uh, the return of Al Pacino. Yeah, no, 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 no. What? But see, that's what I'm saying. This is like Owen Wilson is really good as a movie star, as a guy who is able to kind of sell things with sort of his innate quality. Like he can take lines and and make them his. And particularly in those first two episodes of Loki, where he's surrounded by people 
who are saying things like this. The intruder is at the, like, there's the scenes where he's with the uh, um, Ravona Deerslayer or whatever, you know, the, wherever, the the woman named after King's girlfriend who was... Yeah, Rav- kind of, Rav- Ravona yeah. Renslayer. Renslayer, good Lord. And so I, I was like, you know, this the scenes with him, the scenes with the other people where I'm like, a lot of people are kind of flailing to, like, the material sounds kind of wooden and stuff. And he's mostly selling it, but every once in a while they have those scenes where he has to say something that's just unbelievably cliched, like, this may be our only chance of catching this guy, you know? And you're just like, oh, God. Like, I mean, I guess you got to say shit like that to, you know... You've you got to tell the story, right? Yeah, exactly. You got to you got to move this forward, you know. Whereas at least sort of the the kind of duel of wits that happened in the first two episodes between Wilson's character and Loki, you know, there's certain at least there's there's certain layers there. Like I get the sense that the people writing and creating the show are pretty good at character and pretty bad at moving the exposition ball forward because it just the the it just it's like listening to a car with like yeah. a missing gear or something so but that's that's a marvel thing in general isn't it right. i say that because spider-man's morning again like i enjoyed a chunk of it right but everything i enjoyed the most had nothing to do with the plot right right like i can't spoil no, no way home like all the no big no way home stuff's been spoiled right so i'm not mm. gonna say anything that you know Outside the death, which I, you know, I'm not going to talk about, sure. but um, you know, I the first fifteen twenty minutes of the film is mm-hmm. basically the fallout of the previous film. Peter right. Parker's been exposed, mm-hmm. and it is for all intents and purposes like played for comedy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love seeing the interplay between Tom Holland and Zendaya and Marissa Tomei and and, and John right. Favreau. Yeah, like they play off really well. It's cute. Mm-hmm. I love the interplay between the three Spider Men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like they all seem to be having fun with the ridiculousness of that material, and honestly, the writing leans into that too. Right. You know, so you have Ned at one point be like Peter, and they're all like, "Which one?" And he goes, "Peter Parker," and they're like, "We're all Peter Parker." Which one? He's like Spider Man. They're like, "We're all Spider Man." <laughs> <laughs> you know, or, or the the reveal of like there's these alternate world Peter Parkers comes when. They're in Ned's grandmother's house, <laughs> and they accidentally summon Andrew Garfield's one first. Mm-hmm. And Zendaya doesn't believe he's actually Spider-Man, so he has to like show off his powers. And then she's like, "We'll crawl across the roof," and he's like, "Why?" That no. And the grandmother's like, "While you're up there, just get the cobweb." <laughs> right, and then like Toby right. McGuire shows up, and it's played for comedy like that. And like that stuff's charming as shit. No, absolutely. Then when yeah. you get to like the plot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, why do we have to have the fight? Especially mm-hmm. because, you know, and this is a common cliche, I, 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 like a cliched argument about Marvel films, but Marvel films always end up coming, ending in like a fist fight between the hero and the villain. Mm-hmm. Right? And in No Way Home in particular, it's insanely gratuitous. Mm-hmm. Like, it's crazily gratuitous. They basically have to, like, force a situation where Tom Holland's Peter Parker has emotional stakes with the villain from, like, another world in the multiverse. 
Oh, wow. As to the point where, like, he's the one to have the fist fight. Mm-hmm. Right. Of course. Right? Yeah. I, like, and you don't believe it as you watch it from mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're you're very aware of like oh that's right that's because Marvel films have to have the fist fight, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. in the same way that when you're watching Eternals there's the the, the, the fight with Icarus, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it feels like oh that's right because you've got to have this fight, or in Black Panther the end of Black Panther as well it's just this this doesn't make sense with anything else in this film, but I guess you've got to have the fight between the two characters. Well, you know. So I so I think that there's I think there's a couple of things going on. I personally think like the Black Black Panther is a way is I think actually a really good example of it. Like there is every reason why those two characters should fight. And so But that fight? Well, no, no. And like see, the, the fight as it appears on screen. No, 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 no. In, like Black Panther got you. Well, but I mean, like, even in a way, like, I'm sort of like, yeah, maybe. Like, you know, it's not ideal, but I'm like, eh, you could probably sell it. I think the thing that's super hard about the fight in Black Panther in particular, and I think this is the problem with a lot of Marvel movies, is that the fight it is like... As professional filmmakers and screenwriters, they are good enough or smart enough to understand the idea that you've got to put the the hero and the villain sort of at thematic odds with one another. Yes, yes and you also have to have emotional Right, and uh, emotional stakes and yeah. things, right? You know, it's Jeff Johns 101. The, the problem is, is that the fights so often, like how do I put it? They don't resolve any of the thematic conflict. You know what I mean? Like there is the, every question. In fact, one to the extent that black Panther ends up being like a movie that kind of sticks, it has, a, it does have a lot to do with the fact of like, I think that you could watch that movie 10 years from now and be like, Oh, wait a minute. So, right. So black Panther's the villain. And, and Killmonger is is the hero, and Ryan Coogler finally freed of his Marvel contract. Is like, yeah, and that's that's what I wanted all along. Yeah, yeah, that's what I wanted to say. Yeah, yeah, you know. But but as it is, it leads you down this path, and then when it's resolved, you're kind of like, uh, so so. I, what I find amazing about kind of the Marvel movies in that sense is, by the time the final fight is over, you have a weirdly empty feeling. I think more often than not. You know what I mean? Because, like I said, it doesn't it doesn't really resolve anything. Like I feel like one of the things is really interesting and weird about uh, Avengers: Infinity War and Endgame is you have Thanos step forward for the reasons why he's doing what he's doing, and you show a lot of sort of his internal conflict and the sacrifices that he makes. And at the end of the first movie, he's more or less one. And then you kind of see him just sitting there. And to me, there's a little bit of a question of like, okay, and how, how is this, you know, how is this going to resolve? What's going to happen to Thanos? And, and basically by the time Avengers Endgame comes around, you're you're like, we don't care. We're going to kill him off. And then we're like, how do we fix the plot pickle? And I feel like so many of the Marvel movies get into this, oh, but how are we going to fix the plot pickle? Like, how are we going to sort of 
re, like Spider-Man No Way Home. I haven't seen it, but it's very clear the whole thing is built around the idea of, like, at the end of the Spider-Man movie, the status quo's dramatically upheaved, and then you're like, okay, well, how are they gonna how are they gonna reheave it? You know what I mean? And and so the reheaving, <laughs> I like it. So it sounds like a bulimic. Uh, no, uh, no, festival. but 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 that's just it. Like the, the the entirety of of No Way Home is the you know I, weirdly enough, like what Marvel Comics did after Civil War, they how do you put Two Space Back in the Tube mm-hmm, thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which you know is ironic considering. The circumstances around that story, but like putting that aside for a second, yes. Um, I, but it's it's one of those things where it's like, okay, but there was no reason to do that in the first place. Mm-hmm. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And and what's funny is watching as well. I realized how inorganic everything in the film is. Mm-hmm. Like, there's honestly no reason to make it a multiverse story other than. For want of a better way of putting it, they wanted to. Well, yeah. Like, like Into the Spider-Verse was successful. Why don't right. we do that with live action? Yeah. Right? right. Because the 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 explanation behind it in story is absolutely fucking wacky. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like genuinely, uh, you know, don't think about it too much. Mm-hmm. Explanation. Right. In a weird way that is kind of like, don't think about it too much, but it's also one thread of what is more than likely going to be the center of the next event, right? Like I, well, yeah, it's okay. So I, cause you're watching Loki. So I don't want to say anything that's going to like, like mess up Loki. Well, yeah, but I mean Some, like, something right. ha- like Loki kind of, here's the thing. Loki doesn't lead into Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it kind of does, depending on how you look at it. Right, right. Okay, and Spider-Man may lead into the Doctor Strange film, mm-hmm. but I suspect that's going to be in the same connection as between Loki and Spider-Man, mm-hmm. which is to say they don't contradict each other, mm-hmm. but they also don't necessarily connect. And again, I don't want to say anything because you've not finished Loki. Right, right. Yeah. No, I, but, I wouldn't. One of the one of the things that when I started watching Loki, I was like, "Wait, doesn't Loki contradict Endgame?" In, uh, in insofar as like the treatment of alternate timelines, right? And it mm, doesn't mm. really mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. of things, <laughs> quote right. unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's put it this way: by the time you finish Loki you realize that there is certainly some... Someone actually sat down and thought about it. Right. Right. It's not just that they're going, oh, well, this, no, this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is what I, I initially thought was going on with Loki. Mm, um, interesting. Well, there's... So you're two episodes in, right? Mm-hmm. So two episodes in, there is the idea that uh, the TVA exists to uh, basically kill off anything that isn't the central timeline right okay yeah my problem with that was so how does the last half of endgame work because the last half of endgame is thanos from an alternate timeline comes to our timeline mm-hmm. after our timeline thanos has been killed to get the infinity gauntlet right right and, and I was, 
so, so how how does that work? Why haven't the TVA stopped this? Mm-hmm. Like also for for that matter, why don't we see the TVA at this point? Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. right. Well, um, at least based on what the what is said in the first two episodes, which sounds super weirdly garbly, is that there is quote unquote the sacred timeline. Yes, which. And, which is which is the which is the core MCU timeline, right? And so, therefore, there is the idea that the um, the timekeepers are pruning other multiverses that they don't want to have exist that make the whole thing that can become an, essentially a rogue timeline sure. if the event goes far enough. Sure. Off. But I guess what I'm saying is, according to that logic, why isn't the Thanos that comes from the past to the future from a different timeline? Uh, that isn't that exactly the sort of rogue thing they're trying to eliminate. It would be if it didn't res- result in the central timeline. You see what I'm saying? Like, they... yeah, I, yes, and I think ultimately that's the logic they went from. But there's also a further explanation by the time we finish the show. Oh, interesting. Okay, well, I look forward to that. Um, but no, I, but again, I, like I sort of look at being like, oh, I, you know, they're ba- things don't connect, and that's like that's just the nature of the beast, right? right? Like things things are not going to connect, and and you know, different people are writing different things. That's fine. And then by the time you get to the end of Loki, I was like, oh, okay, so they actually connect much more than I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and something happens by the end of Loki. Mm-hmm. That makes the events of the Spider-Man film possible in a way they wouldn't have been before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and I think something happens in Spider-Man that is going to be the MacGuffin behind this Doctor Strange film. Right. Right. Uh, but there's also all sort of like uh, what do they call it in Doctor Who? Timey wimeyness. Yeah, there's a lot of timey wimey. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but no. But the problem is. For me, at least, with with Spider Man, I'm with Moon Knight as well, for that matter. Um, what I'm enjoying is not the story, right? Right. It's all the stuff surrounding the story. You know, like you know, in Moon Knight, I uh, which are you watching? Are you not watching? No, not yet. No, and probably uh, not. but like I don't ultimately give a shit mm-hmm. about uh, can Moon Knight stop Arthur Harrow. Mm-hmm. I don't. Mm-hmm. I am very much enjoying Oscar Isaac's impossible English accent <laughs> and his, you know, and the, the interplay between Mark Spector and Asim Grant and Conju. Mm-hmm. I think F. Murray Abraham's Conju is fucking hilarious. Mm. Um, just and it's it's not meant to be funny. It's just that like F. Murray Abrams' delivery is amazing. Wow. Uh, and there is one point at uh, in the third episode where, for want of a better way of putting it, Conchu possesses Mark Spector. And so Mark Spector slash Oscar Isaac deliver their lines as F. Murray Abrams Conchu, mm. which suggests that, like, at least Oscar Isaac knows how over the, over the top mm-hmm. he's being. Mm-hmm. You know, because he does a fairly good slash hammy impression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of of Abram's delivery, which is it's super fun. Mm-hmm. But again, like you know, the the plot, mm-hmm. 
No. Well, I, I'm, I, sorry, on you go. No, 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 no. I think I think this is uh, you know, but the I think one could say that that Marvel's movies are still doing in that sense a good job of imitating the heyday of Marvel comics, right? Like I kind of feel like there is a point at least for me during my course of the superhero journey comic journey where it was like I don't I don't necessarily care one guy punching another guy like I like I sort of like it if the art's great and dynamic or and by great and dynamic I'm like my standards are such that it's like I really like Sal Basima. Sal Basima showing someone punching and people flying in the teeth. That's great. It's but it's you know, but you're kind of like that's not where the investment is. At a certain point it's like okay, you know, because I was reading comics before the 90s, it's not like Spider-Man is going to die, you know. And so No, no, exactly, right? You, right. You, you there comes a point where you you or at least, you know, again, for readers of a certain generation. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Where there are certain things that are just taken as red. And one of those is that the good guys are going to win. Right. You know. Like take their lumps getting there, but they're going yeah. to win. Right. Or they're going to they're gonna win in a way that's, that can point to a poetic loss, but it's still basically a win. Yeah, you yeah. know, and, and so at a certain point, you become kind of invested, you know, for someone like me, for, uh, for which I think the... The older I get, the more I think that the the that Peter reading Spider Man right after Gwen Stacy died and Peter Parker's is just huge fucking emotional mess, and then sort of seeing this relationship that kind of builds with Mary Jane Watson over time. Like there was a lot of romance in the seventies comics, which makes sense because there was a lot of thwarted romance in the in the Marvel sixties comics, and and I feel like that kind of like i find myself even now like reading you know issues old issues written by len ween or whatever where it's like man i wish we spent more time hanging out with flash thompson you know like in that weird like flash thompson's a guy who was like a bully and then but he's still hanging around with these group of people and then he went to war and then he kind of it kind of fucked him up but he's in you know he's now he's got a vietnamese wife and you know like just a lot of stuff where you're like wow that's a that's a really fertile potentially interesting ground that you know you see five and a half panels of you know yeah 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 i, I mean that's that's again and right kind of, i'm i'm proving your point mm-hmm. like that's the stuff that does become really fascinating, especially upon rereading. Right. Right. It's all the stuff in the margins. It's all the stuff that isn't what Peter Parker's up to. Right. You know, like Betty and Ned, mm-hmm. you know, or Jonah and, and Marla. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All that, all that shit. Joe Robertson and his kids. Mm-hmm. You know, all of those relationships. Yeah. Even fucking Aunt May and Nathan. <laughs> Nathan, was it Nathan Lebowski? Was that his name? I don't know. Do you I'm know like Nathan Lebowski. I I sort of I think romance for a while, but he was a gambling addict who like had a connection to the mob. Oh shit! I'm gonna have to go back and reread that stuff because I don't think either. Where, was that in Peter Parker? Or was that in Amazing? After I stopped reading, I want to say it was amazing. It probably was, and it was probably, it was probably Peter Parker. 
I I don't know. It, only because of the mob like ties. They crossed, they crossed over between the titles. Yeah, well, of course, right? You know, and uh, so, but uh, but no, Nathan was like yeah. was was in with the mob, and and you know, May May loved him, but Nathan was kind of a shit at times, and you were like, right. oh, but she deserves better, yada yada. Um, <laughs> no, but right? like that's yeah. stuff again on rereading where you're like, this this shit's you know fascinating it's fun and it's interesting but it's also fascinating because like where the fuck are they coming up with this stuff where are they going with it right right exactly you know there's there's some crazy you know my relationships kind of shit mm-hmm. therapy going on with a lot of the the oh, second yeah. gyps in, in 1970s in marvel comics totally, totally you know there, there's lots of um divorce drama happening in the background especially of spider-man yeah 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 no, it yeah, right, exactly. Cause, well, and because a lot of these guys, people were dudes who were like, you know, writing Marvel comics at like eighteen. Yeah, you know, and then like they get married, and then they get divorced, and then they just write that shit right into the it, comics. It just goes right in there, and you know the the divorced wife is doing the colors, you know. So it's just it's 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 wacky times, but. And so, right, like I'm saying, this is in a way the the idea is frustrating as it is for me that Spider-Man No Way Home is not going to have a lot or nearly enough of the Tom Holland and Zendaya and, like you said, just everyone. Oh, no, it has a lot of that because, Jeff, it's two and a half hours long. Well, yeah, see, and that's probably how they give it all <laughs> to you, which is to, which may be part of the problem is that kind of bloat. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know, you know, I, I think, uh, I, so I think in a weird way, the other thing that's amazing to me to kind of semi pivot, um, is the way in which, and, and it seems like a strange form of voodoo curse, like something you would read about. No, I'm sorry. Now it's just racist. Let me revise that. It seems like some sort of strange comic book curse that marvel in growing stronger has somehow simultaneously strengthened and weakened dc comics to the point where if i'm reading the news correctly everyone's talking and by everyone i mean in the discovery warner's merger about how big and central do they make DC? Does it become its own central yeah, pillar brand? Like, okay, so, so let's segue onto this first. Yeah, because it's crazy. Um, yeah, so I've said this to you off recording, but it's been a crazy few weeks for DC rumors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Including one big one in particular, the Rich Johnson was like, hearing DC rumors, anyone heard anything, get at me. And then when he was told outright it's not true, then proceeded to write, I shit you not, two separate Bleeding Cool stories about, even though he never said what the rumor was, only that he'd heard something and that it wasn't true, and he still got two stories out of it. (laughs) And both stories, by the way, were like big hits on Bleeding Cool. (laughs) It's nuts. Anyway, you know, there's there's been like a lot of rumors, uh, you know, like I said, that aren't true. Mm-hmm. Uh, about, you know, big figure one is stepping down, big figure two is stepping down, they're being replaced. Like, something's changing. And a lot of this has come from 
the fact that Warner Brothers Discovery merger just happened. And when it happened, like, big Warner Brothers people left. Mm-hmm. Like, Jason Keeler went. Um, you know, another couple of, like, really, really major people went. And the, the new head of the company, the guy who came in from Discovery, basically came in with the promise of, like, I'm going to, like, find so many savings <laughs> in mm-hmm. Warner Brothers that we're going to save so much fucking money. You guys... Mm-hmm have no fucking idea mm. and so there was this like almost uh if you can imagine like you know tinkerbell as a fairy that exists because of people's belief right it was like the tinkerbell of rumors <laughs> so much is happening at warner brothers and dc is part of warner brothers that obviously something must be happening at dc mm-hmm. this week alone jeff mm. i've said and i'm not going to tell you either of the rumors but i've heard that a very major person is about to be fired from DC, mm-hmm. which I would almost guarantee is not true. Mm-hmm. But also that a very major former Marvel person is about to be hired by DC mm. huh. to oversee things. Wow. Which I also would be very surprised if it's true. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, again, like, you know, there have been so many. So and so is being fired. So and so is leaving. So and so is, you know, getting a sideways promotion. It's really them being pushed out. So many of these rumors. Um, but what has given uh, credibility, I guess, mm-hmm. to to this particular the round of rumors is that Variety midweek had a report. Uh, I've got to search for the actual Variety's headline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for remembering okay. Variety. So, so Variety's yeah. headline is Warner Brothers Discovery Exploring Overhaul of DC Entertainment. Uh-huh. Uh, and the story is basically uh, Warner Brothers Discovery, the new like owners of the company, new leaders of the company, are, are like, well, why isn't DC Marvel? Right. Marvel is all centralized, which mm-hmm. actually is but right. the company yeah. believe that Marvel centralized. Mm-hmm. I mean, Marvel is literally two different companies. Mm-hmm. There's Marvel Studios and there's everything else. And they are two different companies with different like car- different places in the Disney family. Right. Although they didn't start that way. so They did. Uh, wait, didn't didn't Marvel the Marvel... Marvel was, Marvel was altogether. Disney bought it and they immediately moved films away. Yeah, okay. I thought it wasn't immediate. Maybe I'm getting the timeline confused, but yeah, it was relatively in there that um that yeah, that basically Ike Perlmutter was sort of walled off with publishing. He um, he got he got increasingly walled off because even though they took movies away straight away there was the Marvel what was it called committee, the Marvel something advisory committee, whatever mm-hmm, it was called, mm-hmm. that had uh Casada and Bendis and a bunch of right. other like yeah, who, who, publishing related people were yeah. consulting on the yeah, consulting on but the they movies, didn't have yeah. any control over them. They were just right. consulting. Yeah. Right. And then mm-hmm. there was shit, I want to say like twenty fourteen or something. Like Disney were just like, Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you can keep your consulting to yourself, fuck you. And just like walls it off entirely. Mm-hmm. Um no, but uh, so so the the variety story back to the DC thing is just uh, Warner Brothers Discovery is looking at DC and saying why right. can't this be Marvel? Why can't this be one company that controls everything? Right, because right now, like DC Films, which is a a, a subsidiary of Warner Brothers, yeah. is under the studio division. 
mm-hmm. and it's separate from DC, which is everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's that's something that's so funny to me about this variety story. They keep on saying DC Entertainment, which hasn't been the official name of the company for like five years. Oh, wow. Like, it, when I saw that, I was like, okay, so this is, like, that's a really weird thing to get wrong. Like, yeah. if you're well-placed, mm-hmm. then you think you'd get the name of the company right. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't. Wow. Which suggests that maybe things are not as believable as as, as they seem to be. Mm-hmm. But it was mm-hmm. in variety, so people believe it. Yes, I certainly right? did. Mm-hmm. Um. But the idea is basically in in Warner Bros. Discovery, they are they are looking to get uh, the way they put it is they're looking to get a Kevin Feige, right? Which again is like a weirdly telling thing because Feige is officially the chief creative officer of Marvel Entertainment, which is the publishing division. Mm-hmm. But from what I've been told, like it has fuck all to do with the comics, right? Um, so. You know, uh, we'll see what the, all of this actually means. Well, first of all, we'll see if it's true, because again, right. yeah, you know, you think they'd get the name of the company right mm-hmm. if they knew what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also, you know, with everything going on at Warner Brothers right now, it would be shocking if DC somehow escaped unscathed. Well, <laughs> like genuinely shocking. I mean, so I guess the thing that I, I my particular spin on it when i brought it up was essentially the idea that dc dc has always i i feel part of what has been so rough with dc for so long is is that uh, once dc began coming to prominence once people realized that dc was that that essentially they're like (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that you could like make as much money in theory with the DC superheroes as you could make with the Marvel superheroes is, you know, kind of like Pixar, um, Marvel, the cinematic division, you know, more or less was raised up organically to do one thing and only one thing, which is the Marvel movies and to serve the Marvel movies as to the best that they can as we know from warner brothers warner brothers is all these different production studios and power and money hungry producers that care about you know money and power but like to the to the idea that anything is being used as a thing um, to to make money with, they are they believe that what's important is they have their their stamp on it. Like it's that you know, like it's the whole it's the whole Kevin Smith, John uh, Peters, giant Spider Man, Superman return story, like all over again. Like these are guys who just they're like, I know what it takes to make a good Batman movie, you know. And you hear stories about like what was it the they were Wolfgang Peterson's like Batman versus Superman that it was way into development and then got scuppered when um, Christopher Nolan started in with the mm-hmm. with the Chris, Christian Bale Batman movies. So there's there's tons of ridiculous competition and I think 
backbiting and and I almost for me I kind of got that idea of like yeah it almost makes sense that that the discovery people look took a long hard look at things and are like we're not going to be able to create anything that is as much of a juggernaut as Marvel as long as we continue to operate it more or less like Warner Brothers operates with you know and so we've got to get people that are going to be doing just one thing and I mean I think I've told you my super insane paranoid theories is I'm half convinced that that the restore the Snyderverse bullshit that you see on Twitter and social media started as some kind of insane astroturf movement to to basically just kind of completely undermine as much and any forward thing of the DCU is being undermined at any point by people on the Snyderverse films who are like, oh yeah, Robert Pattinson's the Batman would have been great if they put Ben Affleck in it, you know, and it's like, no, shut up. No, that's not the point. No, you know, and, and so I just, I really do think that, that Warner Brothers is very much traditional Hollywood, which is to say a bunch of backstabbing motherfuckers. And I think they're like, we want to try and get to something that is not that. And again, the Pixar and Marvel people try to talk about having a very, in theory, a different vibe to it. Now, again, part of the problem is that different vibe can lead to at least in the case of Marvel movies, like a very strange, um, you know, kind of, kind of this weird, this weird reliance on formula. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of, which sort of makes sense. I mean, pick it. One could say that Pixar has a, has a winning formula and, you know, once you've got a winning formula, it sort of seems crazy to, to diverge from it too much, I think. But uh, all of which is to say, yeah, I sort of feel that it's weird. Cause I think that on the one hand, I think DC could end up being quote unquote stronger as a result of discovery, putting so much interest into it. Uh, on the other hand, and this is this weird thing of like, I also feel that AT&T purchasing Warners for such a huge amount of money. And I think that this is a story that you had told me at least initially off air. And later we've went on to talk about on air, like, you know, like they, AT&T spent bajillions of dollars on some San Diego Batman experience where you got to hop in a Batmobile and actually run down pedestrians and put them in the hospital just for, just because they never, this was their first time owning like a licensed property. They were like, Batman's big. We're really aware that like, we really want you to associate AT&T with Batman because in a weird way, they're kind of like, Batman is bigger than AT&T is the way that I think they were thinking of it, you know? And that is, that's kind of insane. But so all of which is to say is that basically the DC is so valuable that a bunch of, you know, punks and thieves are going to shank each other in the gutter for it, you know? And that gutter happens to be 
you know, the staggering amount of debt that AT&T incurred in buying Warners and the staggering amount of debt that Discovery is carrying and how much they're they're trying to now sell it as a, well, first off, we don't have to worry because we got DC. It's the goose that lays the golden eggs. If we could just figure out how to stop making movies with like alcoholic, psychopathic, you know, women chokers who have movies coming out for us. They're supposed to be a major release. Jesus Christ, Ezra Miller, what were you thinking? Um, you know, like, I think there's something that's a little... Um, well, was it was it Spurgeon who wrote the book who that talked about... I don't think it was. The, the whole Marvel during the... The battle for Marvel, the whole like pro oh, no, that Carl Icahn. No, that's not Spurgeon. That's um shit. It's called Comic Wars. I can't remember who wrote it. Yeah, Comic Wars, right? Yeah, so, it's not Spurgeon. Like, I can't remember. Yeah, who wrote sorry, it. but it's this whole thing in which you know it's basically the East Coast New York version of that, where Permuter Carl Icahn, probably Ari Arad. I don't know. I have to admit, I didn't read the book. Like <laughs> all these guys, like motherfucking, you know, just shanking one another and then slicing their their achilles tendons when they go down yeah the thing that's so crazy about that genuinely is um it's arad and 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 uh it's not pearl motor it's carl icon um yeah both have the same vision for marvel and disagree that the other one can get it there Wow. And basically destroyed the company together. But you know what both of them like said publicly at the time? What? They were both like Marvel is Disney. Mm-hmm. Wow. Marvel is the Nets Disney. And they like they're on the record as saying it that explicitly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like this is going to be our Disney. Mm-hmm. Um and you know kind of right. <laughs> No, they're totally right. They're right to the point where Disney's like, "Fuck this," you know. Yeah, Disney's like, "Oh, you know, we, we, you're right. We should, we should own this." Yeah. Um, but it's just you're you're right. I I think that everyone who has owned Warner Brothers in the last, you know, at least fifteen twenty years, has looked at DC and went, "Oh shit, this is the company that owns Batman." Right. And they also own Wonder Woman and Superman. Right. And then they'll say, you know, and there's an incredible bad catalog of other characters. But really, they mean, you know, they own Batman, they own Superman, they own Wonder Right. Woman. They own right. Watchmen, to an extent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a big deal. We just have to make, work out how to make this work. Mm-hmm. And it's just that no one can work out how to make it work. Because making it work might not look like what they think. Because they think, well, it's Marvel. And it might never be Marvel. Yeah. You know, no, it absolutely. might never have that success. Marvel might be a fluke. But I don't think anyone who owns DC is ever going to be comfortable admitting that. Well, right. Because, how do I put it? Because it's, um, because that's, you know, that's kind of how, how Hollywood makes its nut all the time it's not so much and back in the back in the olden times which is to say like the 80s and 90s something was a hit and then you did you ripped you ripped it off you ripped off a variant of it you know and now it's like 
you just own that IP and you you do that movie again. You know, like you do the next one in the in the thing and someone else is like, oh, OK, like, you know, Iron Man's big. Let's do let's do Bloodsport with Vin Diesel. It's, you know, and 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 I, I think there is something to be said for it. I think there are people who are like, there's got to be a, a way around it, you know, into it. But one of the things that I do think is really hard is, is that Marvel was even Marvel, which has a lot of the same people from the very beginning, like Kevin Feige, like still there, like it still feels more than a little half-assed and, and super reliant on formula, right? Like, and it's supposedly like a genius vision or something like that. Honestly, but I think Marvel has seemed more reliant on formula the further it's gone on. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, I because it, it, I think... Because I think at least they, one of the things that I think was smart is you can say whatever you want else you want to say about those first three movies uh, that lead up into the Avengers is, or four movies, whatever. It, it, they, they feel different. Iron Man and Captain America and Thor are not carbon copies of one another sure you know what I, mean? But I mean you can even you can even look at like guardians of the galaxy right right which sure. again, yeah is exactly not a, a carbon copy mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. then things start to get more yeah like beholden to formula mm-hmm. you know like it's actually hilarious to me to remember that ant-man serta is an echo right film mm-hmm. right right yeah you know like that seems almost impossible to consider now mm-hmm Mm-hmm. You know, like one of the things that makes Spider-Man as successful as it is, is that John Watts, bless him, just knows how to do the Marvel formula well. Well, yeah, I think I think that's true. I mean, uh, as someone who has seen both Ant-Man movies and like them surprisingly a lot, like, you know, like you said, like you can't even imagine like it's as far as you can get from an Edgar Wright movie. But it's, but sort of, again, it's that like, but they're, but they're fun little formulas. Like you said, they know how to do what they do well. And there's, there's a lot to be said for that. And the really good about casting, you know, like some of the stuff seems like no brainers, but it is, it's really smart to make. In general, Marvel's really good at casting. I think that's a very, I think that's a very, like, that's definitely one of the, biggest strengths of the studio yeah yeah i would i would say so is they had a really good and in a way there is a little bit of that idea to sort of kind of return to the idea of of christopher reeve is is that there's a little bit of the yeah if you get the right person playing thor is like you don't you don't need to promote it as like hey it's al pacino playing thor you know what i mean like you like Thor in theory is its own film that you can market on its own charms. Or certainly well, as it goes on. You know, well, but, and, but that's kind of the, that's the value of getting a newcomer to do something right. Or right. maybe not even a newcomer, but someone who isn't particularly well known. Honestly, mm-hmm. like I look at DC and I'm like, I think Marco Robbie and Harley Quinn is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, like, sure. That's, that's Harley Quinn in the same way that honestly Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man. 
Mm-hmm. Like, they just fit the roles so well. Weirdly enough, um, uh, John Cena and Peacemaker. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, Part of that's right. kind of a cheat because, mm-hmm. you know, that Peacemaker is essentially an original character for all intents and purposes. Yes, completely so. But but it you, it just works. Mm-hmm. You can't imagine anyone else playing that character. Right. You right. Know? And you, you can't get that with Superman or Batman anymore. Mm-hmm. In part because there's been so many of them. Well, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, you're never going to get that. Well, no one else can play the Joker now. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. you know they can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've seen three Jokers in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but, well, and I guess more to the point is is that I would say that part of the unfortunate... Shit, four. Four Jokers. <laughs> right. I was going to say, I, I thought the count seemed off, but wait, hold on. So there's, wait, are you, you're not counting animated, there's, you just mean live no, action. No, there's right? Heath Ledger, there's right. Jared Leto. Yeah, there's um, Hooking Phoenix, and yeah. there's oh, right. uh, the guy in, in the jo- in in Jack the Batman. Nicholson, or... No, no. Is, in, in, is there in, a Joker in the Batman? You yeah. bastard! You spoiled it for me. It's it's like a last minute post credit cameo. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I guess I guess what I'm saying is is that I think that one of the things that is kind of like arguably one could say that the Warner Brothers template has hasn't deviated much in a way. Like for Batman, it's like here's our offbeat casting, and for Superman, it's like here's our nobody. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. You know, and I and 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 in a, in a way that kind of that kind of works. Like I think that I mean, and again, like for me, Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman is. Also, really great casting. Cause honestly, yeah, and, and honestly, I think it's the closest you get to that you know, yeah. with one of these big characters now. Yeah, it's very much so. Because to me, I'm like, oh, right. Gal Gadot is Wonder Woman in a way that, honestly, you've got, you know, it just, it just all works in a way that I don't think that Gal Gadot can really play a lot of characters outside of it. You know what I mean? But like her her she she brings the right stuff to Wonder Woman in a way that is that is totally right. And I think that Yeah, that you're like, okay, sure, that's Wonder Woman. Yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly. And I and I think there's a lot to be said for that. That is not nothing. But I do think so I do think it is going to be interesting to see where DC goes, quote unquote, next, and or if they get, if they if they do start having, oh, I don't know, you know, like just I guess I guess there is something to be said for Zack Snyder's vision in a way. After all, in the sense of um his his dc universe had a lot of really unpredictable choices um you know that sort of suited the characters that he he want that he wanted those characters to be and i think yeah, that, that and works. honestly like he had a plan yeah no it's true you know and, like right. i i i still remain genuinely surprised at how much better 
his Justice League was. Oh my god! Than, yeah. than Joss Whedon's not just yeah. not in sense of like you know Joss Whedon's a great filmmaker because he's fucking not right, but because like Snyder really did have a plan, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and and you could tell in a way that like the other version of Justice League did not feel like that. <laughs> well, right. I mean, or or rather, I, I I guess I feel like there's certain things that I feel are in place about. I think one of the things that's interesting about Whedon's Justice League as opposed to Zack Snyder's Justice League is to... Well, there's so much there. But I do think that that Whedon's Justice League is is a corrective to Snyder's stuff, but is also mm-hmm. a weird corrective to making the characters more like the comic book characters and i feel snyder is like making the the comic book characters more recognizable to the world that we're in now and one thing that i find interesting about the marvel movies which we touched on a little bit when talking about for example shang chi and the legend of ten rings uh is 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 how much the marvel movies are doing more of the same like there's little bits and pieces with like you know like captain america iron man like you don't really have to tinker much with like it's it's pretty easy you can pick up the comics look at the characters and be like oh okay i can see how you could get from here to here characterization's a little bit different but the origins are super the same but then right but then you get to something like shang chi or the eternals and you are like this is not the comic book. Like these are the characters in name only, which considering these characters are named by Jack Kirby is maybe not the best idea, you know, like <laughs> change, change every, you know, keep all the other stuff, change the name first. Like, don't be like, ah, oh, yeah, now I'm going to sell this character, you know, because they're called Cersei and uh, Icarus. Yeah. That's no problem. Yeah. We can, we can work yeah, with this. Yeah. That, that's going to be fine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we we will see what happens with DC. I I'm very curious. Like I said, something's almost definitely going to happen to DC just because something's happening to everywhere at Warner Brothers. Right. It yeah, might yeah, be a big yeah. something, it might be a small something. I, right? I, but something's going to happen to DC. I I kind of feel like DC was cut so heavily to the bone. I kind of don't know what else they can do to it. Honestly, oh, but, unle- unless... Unless it's not cutting it to the bone, right? Right. Unless it is the idea of, like, well, why don't we fund up DC? Right. But it's, even if they do, it's not going to be funding up the comics. Well, see, and that's what I think is it. I think to the extent that there is a, um, you know, the so-called redundancies, like, I feel like like DC has been, the publishing branch has been cut to the bone enough, but... For all I know, they're like, well, what if we, instead of having, you know, the VP of DC publishing and then the video game development branch and the people who are in licensing, why don't we all try and bring that together? And I'm talking out my ass because I could have sworn that was one of the previous DC people had had been brought in with the idea of of 
having more synergy between all the different branches and which is like part of why I'm convinced that Jim Lee is still been is still at DC and probably always will be is I think that he is he shares a lot of the so-called corporate vision for for DC that is all about vertical brand integration you know that he can probably speak very knowledgeably about without like anyone else really knowing how to pull it off per se you know what well, I mean but it's, I, I think the other thing is that um, he's also maybe not invested in but definitely curious enough about what an alternative to traditional comic publishing is mm-hmm. for the DC characters and the DC brand quote unquote Mm-hmm. Um, that makes him valuable to have around yeah. because he knows his shit in terms of the comics thing, but he's also like, yeah, what is a digital subscription service like? Mm-hmm. What if we just do digital comics? What if we do, you know, and comes up with, with alternatives as opposed to someone like, you know, Dan DiDio, mm-hmm. who was fairly aggressively, you know, we've got to support the direct market. Right, Comics are at the heart of DC no matter what right. like comics are a physical format mm-hmm. <laughs> that come out monthly and they should have this price point right and you like know, any for... good founder of image comics jim lee's like the dig- the direct market's really kind of like an atm that you use to fund your other endeavors like you know video games <laughs> hello graham did you go dead or did you accidentally? I think you muted yourself. I or did else... accidentally mute myself. No, I, I did accidentally. I, I was myself. afraid you just shut up in disgust at what I was. Saying. Yeah, no, that was me. I'm like, no, you're wrong. Um, <laughs> and now the silent treatment. And now, and yeah, now that yeah, think about what you said. Think about it. Um, <laughs> oh God, I, I was drinking when I said it. Just about came out my nose. <laughs> oh God. Um, I I I don't know. I'm really curious what's going to happen with DC. I'm I'm curious as much as I think like I'm curious how much things are going to impact the comics division because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if like there's big changes at DC as a company and none of them really impact the comics and honestly I kind of hope they don't I think DC as a comics publisher is kind of getting the shit together yeah yeah you know I I think it's in a much better place than it's been for a while and I'd be really sad if someone's like you know what this this needs let's just cut off the entire head of the the editorial department because we need to have even more batman comics you know whereas yeah exactly yeah um graham i have to tell you one thing that i feel dc should have i feel every comic book company should have every single fucking comic publisher graham who has who publishes anything digitally which is to say all of them all of them should have a a a a 1-800 number that you can call and report a problem with a digital edition so that they can issue a fix immediately and they motherfucking thank you for it. Because I've got to tell you, if there's one thing I'm tired of, it is tweeting at the motherfuckers that I follow in my fucking timeline that are more than happy to repost any motherfucking cosplay image and will not bother to reply to you, would not piss on you if you are on fire. Okay, I am super curious. What the fuck are you talking about? 
Well, it's funny you should ask. This is all hypothetical. No, I'm kidding. Uh, actually, what is amazing, Graham, is um, way back when, way back when, you were like, Jeff, Lester, there's this book, Infinite Frontier, that Josh Williamson's doing it. And I think that that issue zero that follows up on metal is, it's really interesting. It's got a lot of really interesting things. It's got a, it's got kind of a, it's going with this and a that and a zig and a zag. And they got President Superman. And I'm killing time while I try and find this screenshot. And uh, I'm like, oh, that's very interesting. I should... I should pick that up. And so I picked up that double size, like, hey, here's all the little plot threads that are happening that, you know, like any other sort of pre-event, post-event, like here's this tease of the storylines to come. I, I actually found kind of um, uh, just re- kind of weird. Anyway, I didn't like it. And I'm like, Ugh, I'll pass. And then you were talking more about Infinite Frontier. And I'm like, Okay, you talk about the wrap-up and how Josh Williamson's got all, all this stuff going, you know, that that's building with Darkseid and the Great Darkness and the Justice League and Deathstroke Inc. as opposed to Batman Inc. and whatever's happening with the League of uh, Lazarus Assassins, etc. And so I was like, you know what? Okay, I'm going to... You know, me being me, I'm not going to pay money for this, but noticing that the Infinite Frontier... Uh, trade is available digitally on Hoopla, I will check it out and I will read it. Graham McMillan, if you were saying I have a trade paperback of Infinite Frontier issues 0 through 6, if I could just do one thing, one little swap that would screw up everything, what would you do? I have literally no idea. One swap to the issues zero through six. I mean, put them out of order, obviously. Right. Again. Put issue zero at the end? Close. What if, hear me out, Graham, what if you put out a digital trade of Infinite Frontier issues zero through six and you swap the last page of infinite frontier issue zero with the last page of infinite frontier number six wow yeah yeah wow wait the last page of infinite frontier number six is what the last page of infinite frontier number six is Pariah saying, we'll all be happy no matter what. And it says to be concluded in Dark Crisis. And that's after, like, Flash sitting there, you know, in his happy reverie memories, right? Instead, yeah, isn't it? And I'm like, motherfuckers, you guys have got to change this. Because I could be wrong, but I'm assuming that that's the way that the, uh, the actual digital trade is available on, like, things like comiXology i don't know but you know i'm just like yeah and... i'm i'm going to literally look into that give me just talk amongst yourselves while i look into it no no like it's, this is going to take me a while jeff you actually should talk about yourself really i was going to yeah. do girl from ipanema um please please, please keep doing girl from ipanema yeah uh, actually oh, i don't really know the lyrics about some girl from ipanema Oh, um, wait, is there, is, is there a trade of Infinite Frontier? 
Well, there must be because it's on Hoopla. Like they wouldn't have put it on Hoopla if they hadn't put how, it up for sale, how right? Very strange. I'm going to go looking because. Uh, mm-hmm. Frontier. Okay, now now I'm looking on the Kindle store. Mm. Oh, there you go. Right, there yes. you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there is. It's mm-hmm. not out yet, Jeff. What? Yeah, the trade is not out until next week. Oh my god! So, so it was on Hoopla, on Hoopla early. Yeah, wow. if you got a version of Hoopla, it's probably a mistake. Holy shit. Well, it's, and it's a double I'm, mistake. Wow. Okay, well, maybe that's why no one really wanted to acknowledge it. But I'm also like, come on, see. guys. Yeah, there it is. I can get it. It's. Uh, it mm-hmm. says it's just released. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to borrow it Yeah, yeah. on Hoopla. Mm-hmm. And I'll take a look. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not out until April 19th. It's what? not out until this week. It's not out until Tuesday. And yet it's available on Hoopla right now. Yeah. Wow. Okay, well, we've got to wait what podcast scoop, everyone. If you want to read it by the time I launch this episode, you'll still have 24 hours plus to, to well, also, read the trade. You could, I'm fairly sure all the issues are available on um, well, let's not, on Universe right now. You can read the ultra-rare variant that fucks up the, the two villains. Like, okay, hang on. I'm, try, I'm, trying to, and... I'm trying to get to that page. If I was smart, I would remember that you could literally just skip directly to a page, but I'm trying to skip through. Who knows what page that is? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm trying to skip through that way. You know what's also amazing is to read through Infinite Frontier. Oh, yeah, no, it is. Yeah, that's the same for me. Holy shit. Here's the thing. What if that's actually uh, a mistake that's in the printed version as well? Holy shit. I hope not, but that would be amazing. But see, this is the thing. In theory, they just have to know about this and they can they, they can, can change it. this. They can they can roll out a fix in less than 24 hours as opposed to pulping a print run. And the thing that's crazy is there's no way to reach these people. You know what I mean? Like they're really just for me, Joe Schmo, you know? Like anybody worth their salt has a support uh, account on Twitter, and unless you you tweet something like your copy of Infinite Frontier has just killed my child, like they're not going to reply. Frankly, and frankly, you can say that, and it's not until you get retweeted by Scott Snyder being like, uh, "DC, what's up with this?" that people will actually look into it. So, what's really know. funny is I'm also looking up the pages appeared in the single issues. Yeah, because it do- okay, so it doesn't actually say that that page doesn't say to be continued in Dark Crisis. It says to be continued in twenty twenty two. Because the funny thing for me is, it's I mean, it is continued in Dark Crisis, but there's a middle chapter they don't mention. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow, because it's actually continued in Justice League Incarnate. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. Maybe the the Infinite Frontier, their whole maybe the I mean, Justice the whole, like, League Incarnate the, stuff is going to be released under Dark. Crisis Justice League Incarnate or something. Or it might literally just be that they want people to pick up Dark Crisis in in single issues. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Because that's that's starting June, I think. Oh, okay. Well, I gotta say, like, maybe if they put it in the end of their comic as opposed to the last page, which is a John Romita Jr. character, you know, dark side is. I'm like, yeah, fucking A. That would have been way cooler and this entire book would have made... Yeah, much more sense. Right place. Yeah, yeah, yeah completely. That's, that's, yeah, that's bad. Oops. Yeah. 
Yeah, I wonder. Uh, I will. I will give you an update, Jeff, when the collected edition comes out because I should theoretically get a digital comp of that. Ooh, that'd be exciting. That'd be exciting. And so we'll find out if it's on the right page then. Yeah. Right. Really strange. So they'll be but... wacky if it's not. Mm-hmm. 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 Anyway, you heard it here first, unless you know. Everyone's Unless like, yeah. somehow you found it yourself, which maybe you did. But again, yeah, Infinite exactly. Frontier shouldn't be available in Hoopla right now. It's not actually out. That is that is crazy. That is crazy. It's not out until Tuesday. <laughs> uh, and what I think might have happened, mm-hmm. I, this is literally me just making shit up, uh, I wonder if the release date of the collection was pushed back because of supply chain issues. Mm-hmm. Maybe. And they changed the Comixology slash Amazon release because of that. Mm-hmm. But they didn't tell Hoopla. Yeah, right, right. Mm, mm, mm. Graham McMillan, mm, mm, mm. That's what I have to stuff, say. stuff, right? Yeah, right, right. Ripping, ripping. Um, so, that being said, comics, what else do you want to talk about? What else you've got on your mind? You know what, what I read? New stuff? Yes, you know what I read let's, I'm so excited. Tell me. Um, I can't remember if I told you that I read Telepaths or not. Yeah, Did I tell the you I read A-W-A book. You know, I think yeah, you might have told me. Writer's... Yes, I think I yeah. told you when we weren't recording. I think I told you That's after right. Drock last time. Um, right. Telepaths is the, let's be honest, pretty fucking generic name of the uh, new J. Michael Straczynski, Steve Epting book from Artist Writers and Artisans, uh, which is... Uh, almost like a remake of another J. Michael Straczynski book from Artists, Writers, and Artisans in such a weird way. Um, People may or may not remember that when AWA launched, they said, like, we're going to be doing a shared universe for creators who want to opt in, and GMS is doing the the first book in that series. It's going to be called The Resistance. And, and you know, this was all announced in late 2019, which is important for what I'm about to say. Uh, and they're like, and the resistance is all about a global pandemic comes and it kills lots of people on Earth, but some people it doesn't kill, it leaves them with superpowers. Bum, bum, Funny bum. story. Mm-hmm. The resistance actually launches pretty much around lockdown. Mm. Like, for real. The timing was that close. That close and that not good. Um, and the resistance lasted three series. It lasted three minis. Uh, there's wow. the resistance, then there's the Resistance Uprising, and there's also a spin-off book also written by Straczynski called Moths. There's actually there's currently also a, a book that AWA is doing in the same universe. Hmm. Um, but it is basically, uh, you know, a massive event happens uh, that changes humanity. It's outside of humanity's control. Suddenly there are superpowers. Mm-hmm. In that respect, like it's actually very close to like the white event in the new universe. Totally what I was thinking of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because it's so it's a, it's a pandemic. There's a virus that kills like a lot of people, um, and and leaves people superpowers. But in the in uprising in the second series, it turns out that like it's an alien bacteria that caused it. Hmm. It's it's an extraterrestrial virus, mm-hmm. right? So it's only it, you know. There are things coming from space, basically, that give humanity superpowers. Got it. And there are... It's a, uh, I'll try it again. It's a Straczynski comic, so that it's full of Straczynski tropes. And I don't really mean that in the... As critically as that sounds, mm. right? It's like, you know, 
if you buy a Morrison comic, you're going to get Morrison tropes. If you buy a, you right. know, fucking whatever. If you buy a, uh, a Tom King comic, you're going to get Tom King tropes. If, you know, whatever. Um, so you have, like, you know, the there's a certain level of quote-unquote real-world intrigue. There's some political maneuvering behind the scenes, especially the idea that, you know, maybe the quote-unquote good guys aren't actually good. Um, there is some investigation of how the superpowers change power dynamics insofar as, like, what happens if people who have been wrongfully incarcerated or people who have been, you know, uh, prejudiced against in society have this power? Can they use that to engineer social change? Right. So far, right. so rising stars to you know reference another Shizuzuki comic, and or Squadron Supreme, also another and, and or Squadron Supreme, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so so th- these are these are things that he's played with before, and like Resistance is fine. Uh, it's not really my cup of tea in part because it's very slow, and in part because the first se- series is drawn by Mike Diodato Jr. And the mm-hmm. second series by C.P. Smith working in a style basically established by Mike Dada Jr., right? He's, mm-hmm. he's trying to follow the visual language. And mm-hmm. that's not really my bag, daddy mm-hmm. right? <laughs> um, the daddy does sell it, your it does, But it does its job, right? It does right. what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But again, it's a story about a global pandemic that came out at the start of a global pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, which is not just has a taste quotient involved, also right. has a... COVID shut down the comic industry. <laughs> right. So, right. like, it kind yeah. of shat on the Resistance's launch. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? There's an irony. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, cut to two years later, and Telepaths comes out. Mm-hmm. And Telepaths is J. Michael Straczynski story about a global event that happens that ends with people in the world having superpowers. Mm. The global event in this case is, uh, I think it's a comet that passes by the earth too close or something like that i can't remember it's it's it's, it's uh-huh. an extra, it's another extraterrestrial event right um, it is not pandemic-y i take but it. that is not that is not pandemic at all like yeah. literally it's like oh something's happening in space oh i feel a bit different um <laughs> sure, sure Graham, i have to i have to say sure to go with me in this it is i i love your shorthand though i want to read comics with your shorthand like that <laughs> That, I, like, just get you oh, okay. to dialogue but, a bunch but, of but, old John Broom comics from the 60s. Oh, I feel a bit this. different. Anyway, sorry. This, Jeff. Okay, sorry. Telepaths isn't, like, that's not a million miles away from the speed at which telepaths moves. Because <laughs> <laughs> telepaths is much better. It is, like, it, I genuinely think it's Straczynski and AWA basically going, well, the Resistance kind of got fucked by circumstances outside our control. What if we just have Colin Mulligan and have a do-over? Which is crazy. Yeah. Which is crazy, but I genuinely think that's what they're doing. But also, Telepaths is so much better than the Resistance. Mm. Uh, it's faster. Mm-hmm. Epting's art is yeah, Epting. Uh, you know. It's well, yeah, but also in a weird way, like it's more generic, mm-hmm. which helps it in a strange way. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Epting is technically a very good artist, yeah. but he also basically draws like three faces over and over again. He's like Jim Chung. Right, mm-hmm. where like he gets the job done, but he 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 draws like three people over and over again, and right. they're wearing different clothes and they have different hair, but that's basically it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it feels like Straczynski, maybe because it's a do-over, 
It's just like, I've just got to get this fucking story done as quickly as possible to get where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Oh, because the other thing about the Resistance is uh, there is a, a mysterious figure that's basically like, come to me, my children with superpowers, and we will cause, like, rebellion. Mm. Um, and there's the same thing in Telepaths. Wow. Um, but but also in Telepaths, like, there's a much easier to uh, get your hands around and much more focused story for this first trade. Mm. right like they make a point of saying like this is happening all around the world but then basically the majority of the story is and in this one city this is happening mm. mm-hmm. right and in this one city these guys have escaped from prison and this group of law enforcement people are trying to hunt them down and they all have superpowers mm. done hmm. okay right right um what's it's it, it is Far from a story that is suspicious of the police. Let's put that out there, first of all. Uh-huh. Right? Like, JMS is never going to write an all-cops-or-bastards story. Mm. Okay? Mm-hmm. However, he's also not writing a story where the the guys from prison are necessarily wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't get wrong. He fucking tries. <laughs> uh, because the the main character from the prison is... Like, uh, worryingly, like, stereotypically threatening, for want of a better way of putting it. Uh-huh. Like, he's introduced at parole hearing, and it's just like, yeah, I killed those people, but they were bitches, and they had it coming. <laughs> like, you know, that sort of thing. Right. Um, but the idea is then, like, he has, because he's been in jail, he's had a chance to educate himself by reading library books. Huh. But then when he gets powers, he's also like, but, okay, but why can't I just leave? Like, why can't I just leave America mm. and go somewhere else and just get away from all of this shit? Because this entire system's corrupt. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, I'm a fuckwit. Yes, I'm a bad guy. But why can't we all just go? Like, the mm. system, the world as was is, is done. Mm-hmm. Why can't we just leave? And you've got the cops being like, because you killed someone. And he's like, okay, but so did you. <laughs> like, why are you getting in my way? What What is the problem with this? Mm-hmm. And there's, there's, I hesitate to say there's a moral ambiguity about it because again it's Trusinski and he doesn't do moral ambiguity, but no. there kind of is. There's an inkling of moral ambiguity which makes it more right. interesting than what he's doing in the in the resistance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's again like the fast paced nature, like helps a lot of the 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 troublesome aspects. I think that I'd find otherwise. Now, if you don't mind me asking, because I have a certain, um, uh, what are, what, what form of chunk is telepaths? Are you, are you reading multiple issues? Is it a trade? I am reading the first trade, which, what I can tell is six issues. Okay. So, and it collected the six issues and the, and you're reading the trade of it. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. I just yes, I'm reading the trades, and it's six issues, and I think it's a six issue and done series. I see. With presumably like setting up for future, because like there's a lot left unresolved. Like there's an entire subplot setting up that like the president has someone beside him who can read people's minds, and she's keeping it secret. Hmm. And then to do nothing with that for the rest of the series, like that's mm-hmm. clearly setting something up for the future. You know. Right. Right. Um. So they're you know they're leaving that sort of element out there for further exploration. I'm, 
But it's this weird thing where you get to see not just a company having a do-over in its idea, but the mm-hmm. same writer having a do-over yeah. in its idea. Like, within right. two years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, the second draft being better. <laughs> well, which is great. I mean, honestly, there's a number of people that could benefit from... One of the great charms of comics is the spontaneity of it. But there are also those people who you... I, as you know, I've spent... Made made my successful podcasting career complaining about people who should be doing second drafts of their stuff and are not. Um, and so it's kind of interesting that they're like, yeah, let's... Let's do this over because sort of that idea of like they sat there and were like, you know what, this idea was sound. This kind of we got totally got fucked on the exit, you know, the pandemic. And probably as they sat looking at it or thinking of it, they're like, you know what, there's a this 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 first round of it was a little like when you're saying like super slow. I'm like, oh, Bill Jameis is indeed running a company or wait is it is it is it is yeah yeah okay yeah that's very i was about to say it's like that feels very james like of like oh yeah just dragging that storytelling out so the idea that they were actually like yeah you know we could go back and do this and do this better and we really feel that we should because i don't know we own you know it's it's we got to make money somehow you know um eh, interesting well that's uh that's it, it, it it's just it the joy of it is seeing that second draft mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and being like oh shit like you're, you're just reworking it but good for you right seriously if it's an improvement i'm kind of like yeah it's fine and there's that god where was it there was some point where uh earlier earlier this week I was crazy high, and I do not know if I read a tweet that talked about, literally had some quote from James Baldwin that was something along the lines of, um, you know, something like, all all writers tell the same, only have one story that they tell over and over again. It's just great writers manage to tell that story more like kind of brilliantly and 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 universally applicable every time they tell it and um and so the idea that Straczynski only has one story or whatever is is not a bad idea you know isn't something to damn him with if there's the idea that he is um you know actually telling the same story over and over and hopefully in theory getting <clears throat> better at it or getting closer to being able to you know i don't know not muck it up um one thing and part of part of why the whole me being high thing is kind of a important for my little segue is i uh read goodbye eri or iri by tatsuki fujimoto which was released as uh on the shonen jump website it's a 200 page one shot uh tatsuki fujimoto is the genius who did chainsaw man um and did i don't know whatever it ended up being 10 or 11 volumes for it uh, of the just absolutely top-notch insane um comics 
and then went on hiatus and um, for various reasons. And since that hiatus has dropped, this is the second of two um, one shots that they have dropped. And the the first one shot, um, shit, why am I blanking? Why did I even bring it up? I will, I will come, I will come back to it. Oh, it, it's it's a one shot about making manga. It's about uh, about two friends two people who make manga in elementary school and become friends and more or less try to encourage one another and you follow and you see sort of what becomes of their lives and one of the things that's really crazy is more or less one of the people gets killed and then um that doesn't prevent them from continuing to come into the narrative essentially and one of the things that's kind of genius about Goodbye Eerie is that it is a story told about a kid who starts making um, essentially home movies on their iPhone and the weird tunnel that that becomes of a story, which is just fucking fabulous i really recommend people check it out and by by people i mean listeners graham i would love it if you read it because i'd be very curious as to what you would think of it um again maybe because i was high and i don't know if the the quote that i read on twitter was related to it but i was looking reading fujimoto and not having read a bunch of fujimoto stuff like i've read chainsaw man read the two one shots there's a whole fire punch uh, manga that they did several volumes of that I did not read. Um, but being high enough to be like, oh, wait, there's all sorts of weird themes here about acerbic mentors and subversions of expectations and people who are trying to do, you know, like an obligation to duty that also ends up being like a weird subversion of the same. And I was like, wow, wait, so is this the whole thing? Is this whole thing essentially someone delivering a 200 page story? that is also kind of an encoded artistic manifesto, you know, that is quite deliberately about the themes of their various books or not. And I don't know, but man, Fucking fabulous reading, two hundred pages. Shonen Jump is only two ninety nine for a monthly subscription. Like arguably the, I can't even think of a better deal. Certainly for digital comic streaming. And frankly, most of the the current releases on the Shonen Jump website are free to dissuade pe- piracy. So you could go and read this one without even needing a membership. Quite possibly, in which case I. I heartily encourage it. It's just, it's, it's kind of an amazing piece, Graham, I got to say. And one of the things that I find great about it is because it is a story about someone who's making movies and it starts with making movies on their phone. The first, there's a whole, there's a whole, there's an, an incredible, um, a lot of what the story is doing will actually give you cues if you're paying attention to the size of the panels, which is just insane. Like, I mean, I think that's just great. So 
Um, so anyway, all of which is to say, it may be no telepaths, but I definitely heartily <laughs> encourage everyone to go check out Goodbye Eri by Tatsuki Fujimoto. Again, you can find it on the on the uh, Shonen Jump uh, website if you've got uh, probably Manga Plus as well, which is sort of the international um, website arm of uh, of the same publishers, and the Man- Manga Plus app which is, everyone knows, I'm currently a huge Hardy fan of because um, for the year you can read uh, all their currently ongoing manga series for free. And they've got a couple of things, such as my beloved, excuse me, dentist, it's touching me, um, that uh, I can read for free that I cannot read on Shonen Jump. So, um, which is why I really wanted to talk about Goodbye Ari and how great it was and why I will probably do my best not to talk about the, let me see how many chapters of it, the 75 chapters of Hokagito Girls are super adorable that I also read on the manga. I'm sorry, it's called what? Hokagito Girls are super adorable. I feel I may regret asking this, but what is a Hokagito Girl? Hokakito. Oh, you know what? Actually, hold on. It wouldn't surprise me if I've got the title wrong. I think it's Hokakito Gals. God, I've titled it on my stupid thing. Hokakito Gals are super adorable. Uh, Hokito, I've said it nine times differently, so it's probably, God only knows. Hokito is a a section, like, I think it's the northern section of Japan. Like, God, I I always love when manga experts listen to me talk about this shit. Um, It... Japan's got enough uh, different areas to it that there are um, areas that people don't really go to. So it's it's basically all but rural Japan. Rural, I think, northern Japan. They have super cold winters, way colder than the sort of stuff that you see in like Tokyo and stuff. Um, so actually the thing that's crazy is, is that Hokito girls, gals are super adorable. Started as a digital one shot uh, that was popular enough that they turned it into an ongoing series. Not unlike, excuse me, dentist, it's touching me. Um, but part of the quote unquote charms of it is uh, Kai Ikeda, the the manga ka, the creator of it, is from Hokido and. Every chapter starts with lots of fun factoids about Hokido. And, um, like, ugh, do I have some of these? Like, the, uh, bop, 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 bop. Um, like, famous places in Hokido, number 10, the Shikaisei no Akabai in the Kamikawa district. Hundreds of thousands of different flowers flourish in these 15 hectares of land in the hilly town of Bai. You can enjoy a panoramic view that changes with the seasons. So that's the little opening page um, that's got a fun Hokkaido fact. So it's about, of course, a well-meaning, well-intentioned kid who from Tokyo who moves to Hokkaido, meets a gal um, who is super adorable, and the first 10 chapters or so are are kind of a this gal the basically due to the culture differences he can't tell if this girl is basically flirting with him trying to seduce him or it's just her way 
of you know like like Hokkaido girls uh, gals are different from Tokyo yeah, yeah. gals. Also, again, the importance between it being girls or gals is gals are a specific type of essentially fashion. The the gal statement. I, weirdly, I think I want to say when I tried researching this, which was two weeks ago, gals is a might have been applied to both guys and women, but largely by known by now is largely known as. Um, uh, tied to kind of a specific form of like bleach blonde, super feminine, girly girl thing that is kind of has been a um, at various times a dominant fashion strain in Japan and at various times kind of a, an openly mocked form. But it's essentially not unlike the Lolita Goths or something like that, a sort of type of fashion choice complete with sort of semi-personality traits attached to it that is is more or less like the Japanese Dolly Parton, I guess, is the way to reduce it. And then... Amazing. Yes. <laughs> and then super adorable is is a translation of the original title had two uh, Hokitoisms, um, slang terms that meant super adorable. So... So the whole thing is kind of packed in kind of a Japanese hee-haw-esque air, I guess you could say. And then um, as time goes on, it sort of becomes a more traditional romance manga, but done by, as far as I can tell, a male creator. So there's a lot of fan service to the point of just being particularly downright exploitative and like in any good romance manga it goes from being a romantic like you know is something going to happen here to oh look there's a a new contender has entered the scene romantic triangle to a romantic quadrangle all of which seems to resolve uh with the idea that the the male hero is so unbelievably pure and chaste good-natured and loving that all the women are in love with him, understandably, despite the fact that by all appearances, he isn't complete and utter dweeb. So it's, um, I read 75, 70, I would have said 74 chapters, but then a new chapter came out yesterday. So I've read 75 chapters of that, Graham. Uh, and I would, to say that I am not proud I guess, I guess, I guess to shorten that and to say that I, I could in certain lights be seen as ashamed for having read that, read that much of it, uh, is, is, is not inaccurate for those people also who were wondering. And, and, uh, I don't think by those people, of course, whenever I'm talking about the podcast, chances are good. I usually mean Matthew Murray, uh, was like, uh, how many, Comics, manga, are you reading? Well, because I said that I was reading seven books in real time. And or and I think, I thought I listed it in the podcast, but the person was like, wait, what are the titles? Did you never say it? So I'm going to run them down either again or for the first time. I apologize for being so scatterbrained that I genuinely don't know. Um, Hokakito girls are super cute. Gals are super cute. I'm reading that. Excuse me, dentist, it's touching me. I'm reading that. Am I proud of either of these choices? Aishaman, uh, Shohat Shoten, 
wave listen to me a sign of affection and since it's still ongoing chihara furu um which i am not proud to say i all but tearfully called my library branch to ask what had happened to my interlibrary loan of volume 21 because Papa loved reading the first 120 chapters of Chiaro Furu, but maybe not to the point where he wants to spend another, uh, he wants to spend $120 to find out how the story wraps up. So trying that interlibrary loan and, and Graham, I got to tell you, it was amazing. The person was incredibly helpful. They didn't seem to mind the fact that they were looking up a manga that seems really pretty much aimed at 17 year old girls that a 55 year old man was. They were probably thrilled. They probably were. They probably were. Well, anyway, yeah, they were thrilled. That's God, God love librarians. Anyway, um, yeah, as it turns out, it's still on its way, Graham. It's been 10 days. It's oh, that's ca- nothing. Uh, interlibrary loans take as long as they take, Jeff. Yes, yeah. I like, you, they just work on their own schedule. Even if they're just coming from, like, yep. the next county? Good yep. lord. Wow. Well, anyway, so yes. Still I not once there. got an interlibrary loan here, Jeff. And uh-huh. it took, like, maybe four months to arrive, to the point where I'd forgotten I'd requested it. Wow. Okay. But here's the amazing thing about it. I got it out, and I was like, when's it due back? Because the library gets to set when they want it back. Right. right. When do you think? <laughs> like, two weeks later? Six months later. <laughs> <laughs> they were clearly like, we don't fucking care about this book. Yeah, right. No wonder why it took four months to come back. Yeah, they're you like probably requested it two months into somebody else's six months. Uh, wow, what was the book? If you don't mind me asking. Oh God, I don't even remember. I it was some comic thing. I I want to say it was like, it, I might be misremembering, but it was definitely around the period that I was getting a lot of the Tomorrow's um, compendiums, mm-hmm. and I went through a period where I got like all the Alter Ego compendiums because. Mm-hmm. It sounds ridiculous, but Roy Thomas talking about, you know, the 1980s Earth 2 comics, fuck me up, yes. Give yeah. give me all of those. Right, it's totally and, and true. I want to say it was All-Star Compendium Volume 4, which I wow. think is the one where he's talking about, like, Infinity Incorporated. Mm. Mm-hmm. My, my, again, I might be misremembering. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Well, um, that's good to know. And I think I think once I have my first successful ever interlibrary loan, I will be far less flipped out about the others. The other thing that was weird was, and this is what part of why I flipped out, is I would log in and I could look under my, you know, there's the things you've checked out on hold in process. And so the book volume that I had ordered was shown as in process for the first seven to 10 days. And then it just disappeared. And then I was like, wait, did they just cancel it? My worry was that it had come in and they had had like, I don't know, sent me an email that I never saw or didn't open because that's how I roll. So, um, but no, it just, for whatever reason, you can see it for the first seven to 10 days. And then, and then they just, they just take it off, whether you, you, that book's arrived or not. They're going to let you know when it's in. No need to worry with that sudden disappearance. I don't know, Graham. I don't know. 
don't know. Oh, so listen, uh, we're near the end. In fact, we're we very, are, we're very near the end. So we're, I was, we're, I would... yeah, we're near the end. So maybe we should, maybe we should, we should just, we should just shut this down. Um, well, I'm do, not unless curious. you have something else. Mm-hmm. No, I, I'm well because we are very near the end. So I don't particularly want to raise any new thing. But I'm very curious because you went, oh, I yeah. will tell you this in a, in a future episode. Because mm-hmm. um, one of the things I've read in the last week is I've done a major John Smith 2008 binge. Oh, man. Uh, last week, it was last Sunday, actually. Uh, I even tweeted on a Sunday, which I never do, because I just finished Indigo Prime. I caught up in Indigo Prime. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had thoughts, and I still have thoughts, because I've since then I've read, like, I've gone back to reread Tyranny Rex and Revere again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, like... I could talk about that a lot. However, mm. I purposely didn't because the reason I was rereading John Smith was because Chloe was rereading John Smith. Uh. And she was like, what are you going to talk about? It's like, oh, I shouldn't talk about John Smith. And she went, no, you've got to save that until I'm on so I can talk about it as well. Mm. Hmm. So at some point in the future, uh, wait, what? Chloe will be back and we'll talk about John Smith because Jeff. Yeah. No, there's I, there's stuff yeah. there that really is just bonkers, but also bonkers in a way that takes advantage of what 2080 is. Hmm. Hmm. In a way that I don't think anything else has done. Hmm. In large part because Smith, and then because Smith, spoilers, basically disappears. Right. Like for real, Smith disappears two chapters into the uh, into an Indigo Prime serial and is replaced by Keg W. And at first, I was like, "Well, that's a bit ridiculous." And then it turns out Smith delivered two episodes of of the strip and then vanished. And then three years later, they were like, "We might as well have someone else finish it." Wow. Yeah, like Smith disappeared. That's wild. Um, but Keg W takes over and and basically it's like, "What if I bring in characters from other Smith stories?" Hmm. Which is fascinating. He basically creates a, a sort of retroactively creates a Smith, a John Smith verse. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But one of the things that's great about this is Smith had previously done some work in this area, but also had a tendency to just walk away from strips for like five years and then come back. Jesus grief! So like, there's five year gap in Tony Rex. Wow! I, like with a cliffhanger in between them. Good just, lord. Like, years and like writes Indigo Prime instead but Indigo Prime is a spin-off of Tyranny Rex Good right? and then he goes back to Tyranny Rex but then he'll write you know Revere at roughly the same time and turns out like Revere actually has concepts and characters in common with like Firekind and, and you know all these other things that he's written hmm. so KW is literally just connecting the dots that are already there mm-hmm. which is kind of amazing but across like 40 years, Smith's been doing this. Wow. Wow. Right? And now kicked up. So it's, it's, it's just, yeah, it's amazing stuff. It's genuinely crazy stuff that you can only do in an anthology. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, we'll talk about that in future. Sorry, what was the thing you were going to say? Well, I mean, of course, now I'm like, huh, I wonder if we should do another Drock detour where... Instead, You're like, because uh, I definitely want to read that shit. 
Well, I do. I mean, I really do. As you know, I've responded really well to the Smith stuff that we've read during the course of Drock, so much so that a few people are like, hey, here's a couple of great Smith compilations. And, you know, Firekind was recently reissued, so I managed to grab a copy of that that I haven't read yet. So, you know, oh, yeah, part no, of me is there's, like... There's a bunch. I think Indigo Prime is something that you might respond really well to. i should i should but i swear to god because of course like literally everyone has said that and and i keep trying to enter it and bounce right off of it i don't know maybe now that i've got more 2018 ness and or smith under my belt it'll finally stick i don't know but it's weird i've i've tried I, again i think i've got the collections i think the they might be they might have been in just about every 2000 AD Humble Bundle. So yeah, I may pro- actually probably, have something yeah. like three copies uh, of PDFs. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that is something. No, actually, there. so there's a thing about the TVA that I am... Um, yes, sorry. That, that I'm really fascinated by, but I feel like I shouldn't talk about until, if until I see the end of, of Loki. Um, uh, well, now, now I want you to mention it, and if it's something that's spoilery, I'll just tell you that something's spoilery, and I don't want to say anything. Is okay. I'll try and frame this in a way that I think is appropriate, even at the risk of of like seriously showing my ass. Does the TVA have, for reasons that become genuinely obvious lately later a very high number of african-american and african-based characters or am i just weirdly um racist and showing my ass it might be the latter jeff fuck okay all right all right because because i got me some theories about the tva otherwise but uh, okay all right well, yeah, I, welcome, I, I, welcome yeah. to the ending. The dramatic split ending. There's no textual um, discussion at that point at all, to be perfectly honest with you. Okay. All right. Well, that's interesting. That is interesting. Because I, I am really... Are you saying that because Jonathan Majors is black? J- Jonathan Majors is black. Um, what's her name? Ravona Renslayer is black. The main, like one of, one of the hunters is black. Yeah. The, the main hunter that we see in, in a lot of the episodes in the, at least in the first two episodes, who's kind of the quote unquote main hunter is black. Uh, and then there was someone else. And I was kind of like, I was, I was like, there's just, there's kind of a high number of people in the TVA core that are black. Every once in a while, you'll see a bureaucrat, um, like Owen Wilson, who is who is white, um, and so there's a so <laughs> I, I, I don't want to be like Jeff. You know what? There's a lot of black people in the world, right? Like <laughs> no, totally there are, and that's why I end up being super racist. But I think so. My thing is just like I had this thing of like, wow, am I just out of touch and racist, or are there are a lot of black people here? It's great. It's certainly wonderful to be seeing these people again. But so, for example. Uh, you saw the last episode, so I don't know if uh, if this is a thing that continues on through the various stuff. But in the first episode, when Loki is brought up on his quote-unquote trial before the judge um, of for being a variant, 
the judge, they're in a room and there are three enormous masks on the wall. I don't know if you remember that kind of like big wood. I, I definitely things. don't, but, but keep going. The mask on the right part of it, the part of it is it's a, uh, I'm sure that it's, it, it may jump to the top of everyone's like Easter egg list, you know, for those, uh, for various pop culture online articles is, is it's very clearly the, the mask Kang's mask is the, is the third mask on the right essentially. So it's a, it's a good, it's a good tip off along with, Ravona or whatever that yeah, like yeah. Kang is a coming Kang is and involved. It's, yeah, it's time shenanigans, but also Kang is involved. And then there's also some other portrait there's other um like I think in Ravona's office or something, there is like a statue of the timekeeper, one of the timekeepers, and it's very um it's very marvelized. You know what I mean? Like it looks like if someone tried to make a sculpture out of the Dr. Strange design, you know, from Ditko, but sort of refined by Frank Bruner and stuff. But it's also, to me, kind of weirdly Afro-futurist. And so my weirdo, I'm high obsession, is, is that the TVA is a... Um, of is a variant or a future outcropping of Wakanda. That Wakanda becomes the TVA, and are the timekeeper slash pruners, and then that's going to circle back into Black Panther shenanigans later. Um, there's nothing in the series <laughs> they're, they're to like... say that, but there's also nothing in the series to contradict that. Right. Exactly. So yeah. So. So anyway, so I kind of wanted to get it out there because I'm like, oh, I don't know if it's a thing. And again, part of me is like, I'm just interpreting the way that they're doing some of the stuff. Because obviously the mask, the Kang mask is clearly supposed to be the main shout out. But the fact that there are two other masks that look like sort of, again, ironically, variants of that, which may or may not be important later, uh, was kind of a, huh, okay, well, hmm. So that's where I was at. Again, could be a great, awesome, it's like that classic Easter egg or is Jeff a racist cracker? So yeah, I'll leave you, I'll leave you all with that. And I was going to say you that, all with it. I mean, I'll where... leave Graham with that and I'm going to edit the rest of this out. Cause I got, you know what I mean? Like I, I showed my ass a few too many times this episode and this one's kind of a big ask. So. <laughs> all I was going to say is like, that's the name of the episode, Jeff. <laughs> wait, wait, what is, Jeff shows his ass one too many times in the episode. No, Jeff shows his ass. That's a racist cracker. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Yeah. You know, not, probably not. Uh, probably not the oh, title. Oh boy! Probably, um, probably not the title. Yeah, probably. That's... You know, I might call it technical difficulties because I think that would be a funny um, way to reframe that. But uh, anyway, yes. So sorry. Anyway. <laughs> I, I, I'm looking forward to finishing the series. Uh, I think it's a very uneven series. I think it's a very fucking uneven series. Um, there is an episode that is pretty much them going, we're doing a Doctor Who episode. And then there is Richard D. Grant, who is wonderful. Yeah. Um, but 
yeah, I'm curious to see what you're what you're going to make of 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 the final episode. Uh, I will say, I am in a very strange position where I, like I said, I watched Spider Man today, and because of HBO Max, I'm going to watch Batman on Monday, which is just kind of wacky. Yeah, like I'm yeah. genuinely surprised it's on it's it's streaming so quickly, but I'm very grateful for it. I am too, because let me tell you, I feel like I waited 11 and a half months for Spider-Man No Way Home, a movie that I just kind of want to see. Like, I didn't want to go to a theater. I'm, I'm trying to think of it. I'm trying to think of a nice way of being like, it's not really worth it. No, but it is, Graham. It's, you know what I it, mean? No, like, but, Yeah, but it isn't, isn't, right? It's. It, right. I feel like it's a film that very much relies on, do you really like the Spider-Man movies? Do you really like the Spider-Man movies? Or... Are you really curious about what the Marvel Universe is doing? Right. Well, and I mean, and I, I think those are those are its two like yeah. selling points more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, like Batman, I'm I'm honestly curious about, it. especially because like so many people did have good things to say about it. I, you know, I, put, I, this, put it this way: if you know uh, Amazon or whatever suddenly uploaded Morbius, it's not like I'd be excited about that. <laughs> Hush your mouth, Graham McMillan. You just you hush not, your dirty mouth. You would not either, let's be perfectly honest. No, I would not. I would not. I wouldn't. And I say that as someone when Comixology was having the Morbius sale. I know, like, you went insane. You were like, fucking Morbius, I love him. <laughs> no, Graham, that was the lead up to the Morbius sale, where I've been buying just about every Morbius comic that came out when it was on sale and then read it, and I was like, wow, this stuff is just a fucking tire fire. Like, mm, this is this is this is like if you ever want to read those comics where Steve Gerber isn't angry at the world, but is really just angry at himself for taking this assignment, read his Morbius comics. Oh man. Oh wow. Wow. <laughs> well now I want to. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, maybe we should start wrapping this sucker up. Uh, what? what do you what say? What are you talking Greg? about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you laugh. like it's always it's uh, always the non-editor okay. that stirs shit up. Yeah, no, no, no. Like no. at the two-hour mark, who's like, "Oh, I, I got my second for, win." For real? No, I'm yeah. no, I'm wrapping up because we have hit the two-hour mark. And um, there's going to be show notes for this episode up at wait what podcast dot com. Uh, mm. While you're waiting for those to show up, or while you're just waiting for like the next episode, which is two weeks from now, everyone two weeks uh then you probably want to check out at wait what podcast which is on twitter uh jeff is on twitter at lazy bastard at l-a-z-y-b-a-s-t-i-d and i am mm-hmm. at graham m g-r-a-e-m-e-m we're a patreon supporter podcast which means jeff is going to stop showing his ass and it's going to start saying this you know which is ironic because i have to say that up until now if i ever felt like there was jeff shows his ass part of the program it's pretty much the section where i talk about this unlike graham who can just neatly scroll through still has trouble spelling his own name but i, I suspect there's deep-rooted I, issues going on with oh, that but tell me about it every <laughs> single week every week you know what it's, it's the extra m at the end yeah 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 so who is who is just twitter who's just at graham who is that person let's look them up is there yeah look them up now i'm, I'm sure there is uh, there must well, it must be. You didn't yeah, there is. Try it's a to game claim designer. That? It's a game designer. Oh no, really? All yep. right. Well, yep. let's see here. I wonder if they'd be willing to sell. They're it. they're Canadian. They're Canadian. 
And also, oh, what's great is they're called Graham Lennon. Uh, and their pin tweet is from 2016, and it says, PSA, I'm not a Scottish politician or a South African crit- cricketer. That's all you oh. need to know. So yeah. there you go. Hmm. Now we know what they're not, but do we know what they are? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Well, I mean, at least based on this initial thread, they're 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 a retweeter who may well have abandoned their account. I think you should drop them a note. Oh, wait. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, honestly... They retweeted something from February 3rd, and before that it was September 8th, and then before that it was February. Like, they don't they don't use this very often, Graham. Maybe you can offer to, you know, um, now that... I've been mine for years. Nocturne is up. What's that? I, I, well, no, I, I know. I guess you can't just move them, but, but, like, maybe if you... Can't you... You can... Can't you petition to change your at while keeping your no, account? No, I can't. No. I'm I'm sure I could, but I, what I'm saying more than anything is just that like I have I have no desire to do that. Well, I know, but on the <laughs> other hand, it's like year nine of having a Twitter account and not being able to correctly spell it on the podcast. For but that's like... just that's just me. I I think of it as part of my charm. You're one hundred percent ignoring the Patreon, by the way. Am am I? Who knew? Damn it, Graham! I was really good. I was going to wait and then go. Thank you all, Graham. <laughs> Damn it. All right. Well, anyway, listeners, you're the best. You put up with me uh, showing showing my ass, as I say, uh, any number of times throughout any number of podcasts. And yet you still make the time to um, send us little uh, messages on Twitter or little messages. God, that sounds so patronizing. To drop us a note on Twitter, to comment on the thread, shoot us a, an email, and just let us know that you appreciate the episode, which which is great. It, 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 it means a lot to me and this ongoing situation that Graham and I have. Uh, also, I have to say, the fine people of Patreon throw a little bit of their hard-earned dosh this, our way, and that also makes things incredibly worthwhile. If nothing else, I haven't talked about it yet because it is not a, a done deal yet, but... I believe there is a very good chance that I will be making a purchase that I can literally say in in a Marvel multiversal kind of way could not have been possible without you, our listeners. I genuinely mean it, really. Is this the and... thing that we were talking about, like, the other week? No, it's not. Oh. No, it's yeah. And so I I can tell you about it because it's a thing that, you know, but once it comes to fruition, which it knock on wood should, I will tell everyone, I think you, I think you'll be very um, pleased by, if nothing else, the very recursive nature of it. All of which is to say, thank you, Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for your continuing support of this podcast. And apparently this sector of our multiversal stream to prevent us from having a cosmic reset i gotta admit there were parts of that loki thing where i was like okay like the what huh and then you put the okay fine like honestly i think the genius of the doctor who timey-wimey stuff is once you say that people are like oh thank god i'm just so grateful to stop trying oh, yeah to have yeah to no there, there, there's a bunch of stuff where you're like i like this shit and i don't like this shit yeah exactly <laughs> There's the title of our episode. <laughs> Probably not. Anyway, thank you, listeners, Patreon listeners, all of God's children. Graham? 
all of God's children need some traveling shoes, ladies and gentlemen. And on that note, 